I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, college football fans across the country and around the world. This is Tim May. Uh, coming to you live on Letterman Road today. Uh, bottom line is I had to make a trip to Lufkin to deal with some family matters. Uh, holding down the fort at Letterman Row World Headquarters in Columbus is my uh, good friend, Boston. You call him Austin Ward. And Boston, we've got a little bit to talk about here, man. And this, what do you want to call it? The, I don't even want to call it the postseason. We can't call it the postseason Tim May podcast, but really it's the post are you kidding me bowl game podcast where i'm still shaking my head on on what went down in glendale uh, for all kinds of reasons i don't know if you've recovered from it yet or not from what kind of unfolded in front of you but where do you stand from an emotional standpoint um i don't know if i've recovered from what i saw i think that i'm alex rodriguez and i'm jason kelly from bloomberg this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and, not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. It was one of the more interesting games, I think, that I've ever covered. Uh, that's to put it uh, mildly, because I think that we're going to be talking about it, Tim, probably forever. Um, this will go yep. down as one of the most stinging, bitter losses, I think, in Ohio State history. I know that that's a mouthful, but this will just be one of those games where the ejection, the fumble, uh, you know, the last play, the comeback uh, interception, th- those three things, and, and maybe six or seven others will be talked about forever and uh it's not even been uh, a week since that game was over so i'm still trying to process everything that i saw i know that that you are too but i can't imagine what it's like for those guys that were a part of it uh for ryan day for that coaching staff for those seniors the players i mean they had a chance to make history and it's in in a couple instances it slipped through their fingers and in a couple instances it was ripped away from them in a way that they will probably uh, never be able to forgive or forget country tell or trying to tell Ohio State fans and even media you know to put it behind you nothing's going to change anything if you'd scored touchdowns instead of kicking field goals in the first half uh, you'd be okay at this moment I agree I do agree with that rationale Mm -hmm. but when you take a touchdown off the board that didn't deserve to be taken off the board a touchdown that had given Ohio State the lead in the third quarter and of course I'm talking I'm I'm not talking about the targeting thing because that that could have been called either way. Right. Uh, well, you know, we we discussed that after the game, you, me, and Bermanology. But uh, uh, bottom line is, when you take a touchdown off the board, off what was a ridiculously great play made first by Jeff Jeff Okuda uh, to strip the ball from Justin Ross, and then Jordan Fuller to scoop and score, that has long lasting ramifications. Actually, lifelong la- lasting ramifications yep. for the, those involved, and you know. I did to come back and explain it with a uh, – I'm talking about the officials – to explain it with a cover-your-rear-end explanation, it just blew blew my mind. And, and the, more, the more I've seen that replay, the more it looks more and more like a catch. And you know where I'm going there. And I'm talking uh, – you know where I'm going there. The bottom line was there was no call made on the field. The officials on the field who were right in front of it, right on top of it, let the play run out without a flag or a whistle. And, uh, well, without a whistle, main, main thing. And, and, uh, uh, the replay official, uh, it took it upon himself to declare that in fact it was not a catch. And I really haven't run into anybody except a couple of, uh, people who explained it immediately during the game. Uh, you know, you remember how, uh, Kirk Herbstreit was incredulous. That yeah. was, that that was ruled incomplete. 
And uh, then they give this explanation that he was in the process of putting it away, but hadn't put it away. I don't even know what the hell that means. That means every pass you catch, you have to pluck from the air and then tuck into your arm before it's a catch. Well, we all know that's baloney. Oh, yeah. You know, you can you can catch a ball and uh, and never do anything with it except hold it up in the air. Remember, remember KJ Hill with that one-handed catch that <laughs> then he couldn't get. Couldn't remove the ball from his glue hands. I was the original glue man, but uh, but <laughs> well, I digress. Thing, like, like Tim, uh, to your point there, uh, this if it had been in the end zone, that would have been ruled a touchdown. Mm-hmm. Clemson. I mean, that's it. Yes, that would have been a catch. He had control and two, three, four feet down. Like, yeah, there's just no explanation for it. I think that's the easiest way to look at it. If the guy had been in the end zone, there's no way that they're ruling that incomplete. No way. Yeah, but it, this is what's interesting is. Uh, Austin, I'm trying to figure out. I just called you Austin instead of Boston. I just usurped <laughs> authority. Boston. The interesting, the interesting thing to look at though is what what are the ramifications of this? Because officials, you know, when you have the the head of Big Ten officials come out and say it was a catch, when you have the head of basically the national head of officials say it was a catch in a strip, you know, where does it where does it go from here? Meaning. What will be the new guideline? Will there be a new guideline come down? Probably. But, you know, these things still come down to subjective uh, judgments by the replay officials involved in or the officials on the field, mm-hmm. no matter how much we pontificate about it. I'm just bothered. I'm just bothered that it was taken off the board by someone uh, just trying to assert his authority on the game. Uh, that's what bothered me. And uh, more than anything else, because officials are going to make, you know, questionable calls for, on occasion. But on the biggest stage like that, and, you know, and, and that crew, I guess, was coming off a game where they had a few questionable calls, uh, et cetera. You know, the uh, Iron Bowl game, uh, Alabama and Auburn, mm-hmm. where they had had a, a few questionable calls uh, during the course of that game also. But um, I just don't know where it goes from a clearing and clearing the air standpoint of what, what are the guidelines that officials get off of this that will help them down the road? Well, and, and how is the college football playoff committee and the organizers going to react about how they assign officials and the way they look at it? Cause there's really never been serious accountability for officiating ever. And I know that it's a thankless job and that it's hard and yes. there's going to be mistakes. I, I'm, I completely understand all that. The human element is always going to be part of it in football because there are so many subjective things that happen on every single play. But when you get a high-profile situation this wrong, uh, you know, I think Mike Bobo, uh, the former Colorado State coach, uh, put out a comment that I thought was interesting the other day where they needed to be – all the committee – all the officiating crews needed to be evaluated and ranked, and then you assign them on based on who had the best year, which is the way that the NFL does it with all of their crews. And, look, I know that that's hard. It's another layer of – bureaucracy and and everything to sort through but this is the most important you know games in the country everyone was watching and everyone saw them mess it up and you know nothing's gonna their careers aren't gonna be uh ended over that they're they're gonna have a chance to go uh call other games and and big sec games next year but you know jeff akuda doesn't get another shot jordan fuller doesn't get another shot uh chase young doesn't get another shot these guys that was it and they have to pay right. the price for what these guys did wrong. So something has to be done about it. And yeah, I don't. Well, it's like you said, they're never going. These guys are never going to be satisfied. I'm talking about the fellows you just, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. that you just named, who put in a ridiculous up to that moment a grand season for Ohio State. And uh, I just, th- th- this is what really chaps my rear end, though, is uh, is when, when discussion of this comes up, some, like I said, this of the sanctimonious out there go, well, Ohio State should have taken care of business, you know, uh, <laughs> uh, when they had a shot, you know. Uh, the, 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 well, no, I mean, we're talking about a, a touchdown being cut, being taken off the board that never should have been taken off the board. Ohio State did take care of business, right. <laughs> <laughs> you know. And uh, so there's no way to explain it that way that, you know, no matter no matter how incompetent or or bad the officiating is, you should still figure out a way to rise above it. Well, that doesn't, that's, that's not, that's not real life. I mean, that's not, that's not what happens. And that's just a cop out explanation for it. And, you know, and you're right. I mean, these guys had a shot at something uh, unbelievable this season. They had a shot at turning in the first 
a shot at turning in the first 15 and 0 season in Ohio State history, and and you know going for a national championship, and it was it was basically ripped away from them. And I, I wanted to understood. I mean, my my main complaint is with the replay official, the guys on the field. Mm-hmm. You know, it happens in a heartbeat for those guys, and they got it right. And they're gonna they're going to miss stuff just like on the on the on the uh, Sean Wade hit uh, against. Uh, against Trevor Lawrence. I mean, you know, there are all kinds of ways to explain it. Number one, Sean Wade did co- sort of dip his head. Mm-hmm. Number two, Trevor Lawrence definitely ducked as, uh, as for, you know, Chase Young was bearing down on him from the right side. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so a replay of that showed all that. I'm not sure it rose, as we talked about after the game, it rose to the point of being ejected from the game from a classic targeting standpoint. I'm not sure Sean Wade, I'm pretty sure Sean Wade didn't launch into him. Nope. He definitely hit him uh, in. He definitely hit him helmet to helmet, uh, a glancing blow, uh, just because of happenstance of the play. But then on the other side, right there in front of the officials on the field, uh, Chase Young's face mask has been grabbed by the right tackle mm-hmm. and is being, you know, manipulated and. Uh, and replay, I guess, couldn't fix that, you know. Right. So it's like, if anything, it was it was offsetting penalties in that on on that play, and uh, that weren't called. Right. So, you know, the, you're going to miss the face mask stuff. They also missed the uh, helmet to helmet, but replay called down and fixed that. And then replay, you know, jumped in and fixed something that didn't need to be fixed. The uh, the strip, <laughs> the strip stupid score. And that's what drives you crazy because there's nothing a player or a coach on the field. Just think if uh, Ryan Day had challenged that call. Well, who oh. who looks at it then, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah and that's and that's the crazy part. Just to uh, the the guys on the field actually got that call right. I think that that's important yeah. to remember. And, yes. And then somebody somewhere, like I, I really going into the game. I know some people are always tracking it. Well, who's this conference crew? Uh, they know the officials by name. I, I've never paid that much of attention to it, and I wouldn't have thought, well, what happens if there's a review? Like, is this going to be – this is called into Birmingham and the SEC office is involved? Like, that part is crazy to me. Yeah. And I never I never give it a second thought and then until, until they mess it up, and then you have to, you know, look into all the – you know, Gene Smith wants to know uh, the process and, what, you know, all they can get is an apology. He's upset about it, and he, they had a right to be upset – and it's just yes. it's just a bizarre way that it's set up, and, and I know another factor is it's just co- it's college football. There's 130 teams and and five power leagues, and and everything is more complicated because of that. But there's just I, I don't I don't see how it can be this complicated. Well, here's it. Well, here's the here's the problem with with replay review, which I had a feeling we would get to eventually. Mm-hmm. You know, if you watch the NFL games now, you don't you really you can think you do. You have no idea what pass interference is anymore. Right. I mean, you have no idea because of just the subjective way even the replay review is being done. A lot of it, you feel like they're they're doing it to cover to cover the rear ends of the guys on the field yeah. when they don't reverse calls and things like that. And and uh, and the and the way they've gotten into like you know even the announcers have gotten in on the on the gig that's on the game. But that's why I, I praise. Uh, Kirk Herbstreit for standing up and saying he was in. I mean, he was incredulous that 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 stupid score wasn't allowed. Strip stupid score wasn't allowed to stand. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, I praise him because you know his replay official guy uh, that I think immediately made a comment on it kind of agreed with the replay official. And uh, I'm just, but the thing about pass interference now, you know, I grew up understanding that pass interference is if is if you keep in some way, form, or fashion from a receiver or a defender uh, from making an honest attempt at the catch before you grab any part of his arm or et cetera and impede that motion. And now we see see guys grabbing the other guy's arms in the NFL, Mm -hmm. and before the ball gets there, I'm talking about before the ball gets there, and they're going, well, that's just football. You know, well, no, it's not football. It's pass interference. And they just keep – so replay really has taken us even deeper into a hole instead of fixing these things because now it gets into what are the intentions of the replay official. 
you know, what are his backgrounds? Everybody, you know, the a lot of the national media was probably, well, they got away with that, you know, got a big one uh, called on their favor in the 2002 national championship game. By the way, that's the way the national media uh, talks when they uh, – or being sanctimonious. Yeah. Well, I got a good one called. A, and I'm going, I've explained to people a million times that Terry Porter call, corner of the end zone, you know, Chris Campbell, bottom line was that was in the, in at least defensive holding. And for sure, it was pass interference in my opinion. Yeah. The official who was standing right in front of the play just kept his whistle. I mean, it didn't blow his whistle and kept his flag in his pocket. But the, the, uh, the replay, not the replay official, the official in the corner of the end zone, Terry Porter, saw it and made the call. He had the guts to make the call. And uh, history, you know, history wasn't altered. History went down the way it should have gone down, if you follow my drift. Yeah. And uh, that's totally different from what we saw. History was altered in this case. This was sort of like getting a time machine and going back and, you know, you know, in some big battle or something, you know, taking care of business before the general gets to make the big call, you know. I mean, this is... Exactly what we saw. You know, past that, uh, let's just, before we move on to, you know, the, the obviously the developments here on the Ohio State coaching staff, et cetera, and the Ohio State player staff. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what's your takeaway from that game more than anything else if you divorce yourself from the calls that altered it? Uh, my number, I guess my top takeaway would be um, when, when we talk about Ohio State having the chance to make history, uh, uh, that's one of the most talented teams I've ever seen. It had some of the best chemistry that I've ever covered. Uh, and I, I made these comparisons to 14 and 15 a lot. I, Ohio State had all those missed opportunities, all the, you know, six, seven, eight, nine, ten plays that went against them. And they only needed one or two of them to actually beat Clemson, defending national champions, 28 game winning streak. I really thought that Ohio State was clearly clearly the better team and dominated most of that game and so all last week we went into it uh when we were out there in arizona and i said the winner of that game is going to win the national title yeah uh, i don't i don't believe that anymore because i i thought ohio state was on a completely different level than clemson um and, and maybe, i agree and maybe maybe i'm grading clemson too harshly uh because the fact they were able to play a close game and then get a win against that ohio state team should carry weight but you know, Dabo Swinney said this the other day that they were all hurting. I mean, they were they were in shock at how fast, physical, aggressive, and talented Ohio State was. And when they were down sixteen to nothing, they were reeling and they'd been punched in the mouth. And they had a lot of guys. Now they 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 should count themselves lucky. Now they complained about uh, both both teams did the short shorter preparation for the Fiesta Bowl. Clemson should yeah. count its lucky stars that it has two weeks to try and get ready for LSU in that test because they are. They were physically beaten up in that game. Um, so, I, you know, I, again, that's why I say that this is such a devastating loss for Ohio State because they were a special team and they had every right to be going to play for the national title. And, and it, didn't, it didn't happen for them. I'm not uh, going to sit here and, and forever make excuses for them or whatever. But I think this is one of the biggest missed opportunities that the Buckeyes could have had, and that's, that's why it's going to sting so bad. Uh, for years to come. Yeah. Well, I I think you can, with a straight face, say Ohio State was robbed, and yet Ohio State had enough riches to buy itself out of it. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And, uh, You're right. You yeah. know, and then and, and blowing it, you know, uh, the, the three, settling for three field goals, <clears throat> at least they put points on the board at those in, in those moments. Right. But, yeah, just one touchdown in any of those instances would have made a huge difference in a game. And, of course, at the end, I thought, you know, we were witnessing – it still may end up being that way, but we were witnessing the first act in the Justin Fields 2020 Heisman Trophy campaign mm -hmm. uh, as he took the team right down the field. And then, of course, they had the call. They made the they made a call where the Clemson defense arrayed exactly as they wanted them to on that what turned out to be the last offensive play. And Chris Olave looked back, uh, thought he saw Justin Fields about to scramble, broke off his route, and Justin Fields, you know, I don't know if you agree with me or not, I thought he threw the best pass he threw all day. <laughs> I mean, just from a stepping into it and letting it go, uh, pass uh, post got over the middle, that the defender, Nolan Turner, was able to third, what, third string safety who was on the field, 
was able to run down because Chris Olave had broken off his route and fallen on that ridiculously slick, weird <laughs> uh, turf. And and that was that because, you know, the idea was Olave, man-to-man, just go up and beat the guy, mm-hmm. you know, for the ball. And we've seen him do it many times. Over and over. So, anyway, uh, that is what it is. We saw the greatest rushing season in Ohio State history by J.K. Dobbins. Are you kidding me? Yeah. Uh, beats Eddie George's record. Eddie was on my flight on the on the way back to, uh, you know, I was connected in Nashville coming back because I had to get back early, mm-hmm. and he was actually on my flight, so don't make fun of me for taking that. That wasn't a red eye. It was a blurry eye <laughs> uh, the next morning. And uh, he just gave it up for Jake, gave it up to J.K. Dobbins. I mean, what a what a performance and what a season. And the thing about J.K. Dobbins' season was he only played half of about three quarters of the games. Right. And in the biggest games, you know, as you've pointed out and others have pointed out, his yardage in the biggest games, uh, the by biggest I mean toughest, was off the charts. And that has to go do with him and the offensive line, which I think also played pretty pretty well the other night against a marauding uh, scheme-laden, I like to say scheme-laden, <laughs> scheme-laden defense with Brent Venables calling the plays. Uh, they, went, they went right down the track, clickety-clack, on that last drive. I, I, I think you agree with me yeah. and had a real shot at winning the game. And it's just unfortunate. But it comes into, you know, the old grown-up uh, bromides. You know, you can't win them all. And this team gave everybody – just ridiculous uh, memories this year of winning uh, by double figures uh, every time out mm. until the last time, and then had a shot at winning by double figures uh, <laughs> against Clemson, but couldn't couldn't for one of another term, you know, uh, based on based on the uh, those three first half drives that ended in field goals, and then the the last drive which ended in interception, they couldn't finish it off. Well, I think that. You slipped something in there that is interesting. It shouldn't be overlooked how special the rest of that year was and the memories that, that those will last. They're probably now going to be overshadowed by what happened in the Fiesta Bowl, but you know, you talk, you talk with J.K. Dobbins and everything you talked about there, Chase Young with the single-season sack record, uh, Jeff Okuda, unanimous All-American, probably going to be a top-five pick, to uh, the first team in, in college football history to have – uh, two Heisman finalists, one from the offense, one from the defense, with Fields and, and Young. Yeah. Uh, another, another, you know, blowout win in the game. Uh, three straight Big Ten titles. Now, uh, I could keep going. It's you know, Jonah Jackson, uh, the the kind of fairy tale season for him, getting to go from Rutgers to being uh, a Big Ten performer for the undefeated Big Ten champions. Uh, I mean, it's just yeah. there are all these stories everywhere, and I think it'll be. Um, or it should be important for us to keep talking about the good and the positives from that and remind everyone that it's not like this this, this season was a disaster or a failure for Ohio State because they didn't win the national title. Those are hard to win. And should they or could they have done it? Yeah, they definitely could have. But, man, if you don't enjoy the, the other 13 games that they played and Ryan Day's first full season in charge and all that, like yeah. if you're going to base it just on that one game, you're really missing out on, on the rest of it, and I know that I know the loss hurts for Ohio State, and it will. It's not, you know, it's not probably going to go away. Talking about the fumble, as I said right off the top of the show, but uh, the rest of the stuff, it was special. It was fun to cover, and I, it's. I think just speaking for myself, it'll be important not to dwell just on the Fiesta Bowl uh, as we start, you know, covering the 2020 team and and all the yeah. positives for what they have coming back. I'll tell you what. I don't mean to end this on a down note, but we're really. Sort of a bummer for the Ohio State defense, though. All year, man, for the most part, they they kept that big play, yeah. the big play which had it, had uh, haunted them the entire 2018 season. They kept that from from hurting them in 2019. You know, with the new input of Greg Madison, defense coordinator, and Jeff Halfley, mm-hmm. uh, defensive co coordinator, Al Washington, Matt Barnes, the new staff joining uh, Larry Johnson. But man. Uh, Trevor Lawrence, what was that, 65, 70-yard run to get them back in the game and uh, make, I'm talking about Clemson, feel good about itself, that quarterback right up the gut pretty much. Mm-hmm. And then on that last possession, a 94-yard drive in four plays, uh, you know, 
that's going to sting for a while, man, because suddenly the big play came back and bit them in the butt. And so, you know, we'll see how they quote unquote live with that. Uh, right. you know, uh, but clearly things are changing and that's what our segue is. I don't mean to make that a, uh, <laughs> a gloomy doomy segue, but you know, it's, it's right there. It's real, you know, yep. well, what, you know, the final bottom line is Clemson made the plays and Ohio state didn't except for an asterisk, <laughs> uh, past that. Jeff Halfley leaves, as you've been reporting for a while now, and LettermanRoad.com, that's where you really get the scoops anymore. If people aren't paying attention, they're not understanding it. But, uh, uh, you know, they really won't carry Combs uh, it, to fill that spot, to make that big triumphant return. I wouldn't call him a prodigal son. He was a – he was a uh, – yeah. They didn't want him to leave. Yeah, but uh, – <laughs> Bottom line is, you think that's going to happen now? Or do you think uh, Kerry Combs will be making a grand return sometime uh, to Ohio State football as the uh, yep. possibly a co-coordinator and uh, and celebrated uh, defensive backs coach? Yeah, if I had to, uh, as our as our guy Brumanology, when he makes his crystal ball predictions for recruiting, if I had to do that uh, for this co-defensive coordinator secondary position, I would say that Kerry Combs uh, will return to Ohio State. Uh, he's still involved in the NFL playoffs with the Tennessee Titans right now. Um, I, I think, you know, the ball's been in Kerry Combs' court for a while now. He, um, you know, I don't know specifically what he makes with the Titans, but NFL position coaches generally uh, are not going to make as much as they could make um, with, with Power 5 programs and elite powerhouses like Ohio State. And he left and he went and got I – think, I think he was kind of stuck in a little bit of a rut where he could have been that cornerback's coach – uh, when he left a couple years ago, he could have done that forever, and he made decent money. But I think there's still part of him that believes he could go to a higher level, whether that was being a coordinator yes. or potential. You know, he wanted to be that. He thought he should be in the head coach mix for Cincinnati uh, when Luke Fickle got yes. that job, and he didn't. So I think, I think part of him was the challenge to go to the NFL. Maybe brightens up the resume, spruces it up a little bit, and now lo and behold. You know, Ryan Day has proven, he did with Jeff Halfley, that he wanted guys with NFL experience. He also knows Kerry Combs. There's, a, you know, a familiarity with that. Obviously not just from Combs being at Ohio State, but Day working with him. Uh, I, I'm told that their wives get along extremely well. That's yes. Don't underestimate that part of it. Um, so I, I think all of this just kind of fits perfectly. Uh, Kerry gets to come back with a little more, uh, you know, two years of experience of, of you know, just the – X's and O's of that NFL game are always at a, just a slightly higher level than what you see in college football. That knowledge is big. Uh, that would certainly be appealing to Ohio State and then to recruits and then to Sean Wade or you know current uh, Ohio State cornerbacks. We'll see what all plays out there. Uh, Cam Martinez, who is waiting till February to sign, as as Berm has detailed over and over. But that's a that's my long, as you know, my long-winded answer to yes. I think that Kerry Combs will be <laughs> will be the uh, answer there. Yeah, you know, the parts you didn't even add there, <clears throat> Kerry Combs is one of my favorite fellows I've ever covered. Mm. So from a media standpoint. Absolutely. You know, <laughs> yeah, for sure. You know, from a selfish standpoint, <laughs> I mean, who doesn't like talking to this guy? And the, the thing that bugged me about some people and their uh, their take on Kerry Combs when he was here before, without a doubt, he's he's a little bit of a nut. Uh, maybe a lot of a nut, you know, from the standpoint, you know, that Minnesota game when he wore short sleeves, you know, when it was 14 degrees out and the wind was blowing, it was snowing. Um, and the way he runs up and down the field and the excitement he has, you know, I was watching Matt Luke, uh, last night watching the, uh, the Georgia Baylor game and Matt Luke, you know, former head coach, what at Ole Miss is now the offensive line coach suddenly at Georgia. And I mean, kind of reminds me, they remind me of each other, their uh, pure joy in the game. And then, but then this guy was a hell of a high school head coach. I'm talking about Kerry Combs before he got into the college gigs. I mean, he's, you know, he's, he's, he's run things as, as the old saying goes. And, uh, and now he's got this, he's been uh, dipped in the waters of the NFL now, you know, from the experience of, <laughs> of learning how these guys game plan, but also how you snooker people and how, you know, technique wise, there are more than, there are more than a couple of ways to skin a cat. And, you know, and, and he'll have that on his resume, which like you said, will be attractive to defensive back recruits who, you know, everybody now can't wait to get somewhere else. It seems, you know, and, uh, and for those eager beavers, 
uh, you know, Kerry Combs can offer that on the resume, just like you're talking about. Let's get to the eager beavers. Uh, well, now let's go to another one. Obviously, the quarterbacks coach, Mike Yersich, as you were reporting for a while, which I think surprised a lot of people when you first started talking about it. But, mm-hmm. hey, lo and behold, it happened, right? Uh, he's headed to Texas, or he is in Texas. Uh, uh, number uh, The idea is Corey Dennis, you know, a lot of people know him best as being the son-in-law of Urban Meyer, but you and I both know Corey Dennis has paid his dues and then some uh, in behind the scenes at Ohio State as a graduate assistant and and um, uh, et cetera, a, a quality control guy. But I mean, I I mean, everybody who's worked with him from J.T. Barrett on up, I mean, they've they've praised their uh, interactions with Corey Dennis. If in fact that comes to fruition which there's a good chance it could, man. You remember, I mean, there was some thought that, that uh, Ryan Day might name him the quarterback's coach uh, a year ago and just kind of balked at it, went for Mike Yersis to bring in, look, get a little pollination from that from the uh, Big 12. I won't go deeper into that like I did at one point. But, but I think Corey Dennis, uh, the way it's structured at Ohio State with Ryan Day, you know, maybe he's not the offensive coordinator, but he calls the play, so he's got to be immersed in it. Let's put it that way. Yep. Uh, if in fact it turns out to be Corey Dennis, that's not a bad thing either, right? Yeah, it, it will. That will turn out to be the fact uh, when they it's officially announced. Probably sometime next week, we'll see um, exactly how that transpires. But uh, that's the plan in place. And I, I was wait. Let me interrupt you. Let me interrupt you. I was trying to cover your butt there, but go ahead now. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I I was curious when when the move was becoming clear with Yersich what direction that Ryan Day would want to go with that. And the real issue was, did he need Corey Dennis to go somewhere else and do the full-time job somewhere, namely Colorado State, to get that experience and then have him come back in a year or two whenever the next situation popped up? Uh, I thought there would be you know, a possibility that that would be the, the way he wanted to go, just to make sure. Because it's, yeah. a, it's a big leap to go from senior quality control where you're not – you're not on the road recruiting. You're not, you know, we know that he does a lot of work uh, uh, with these guys with film and all that, but you're not the guy when it comes to on-field instruction, not allowed to be, um, according to NCAA rules and guidelines. It's not the NFL where you can just, you know, hire as many people as you want to do as much instruction and hands-on as you want. So I, I thought there was a real possibility of that. But the flip side is if Ryan Day, who worked directly with Corey Dennis uh, a few years ago when he first arrived, uh, he was in the room. They spent all that time together uh, putting together, you know, the cut-ups, the film, the game plan, uh, learning how Ryan Day wanted to coach quarterbacks the best way to do it, the way that it's worked. Um, if you've known for a while that you that this guy has it and Ryan Day's been a great talent evaluator, you can't really question that part of it, um, then don't let him leave. Do whatever, yeah. do whatever you can to keep him around. And that's why you said a year ago there was that conversation about, hey, maybe it'll just be Corey Dennis at that point. Um, it wasn't, and it's worked out in this fashion where now Mike Yersich is gone. Uh, you can expect Brian Hartline to get a big raise and probably that passing game coordinator title, which he's absolutely earned. Uh, I, I get this question too. I, you know, you're not going to take the wide receivers away from him either. Um, maybe this is a another guy. This is really inside baseball. Keaton Bailey, uh, who's been Brian Hartline's right hand man. Yeah, a, maybe he gets a little bit of a, a bump, so that they, that's another guy that they don't want to leave. Maybe he takes Corey Dennis's senior quality control role. Um, but really, what's important here is that Day is familiar with Dennis. They believe he's got the potential to do it. He's worked with, you know, as you said, JT, and then back-to-back Heisman Trophy finalists, Dwayne Haskins and Justin Fields. When I was in New York, both made sure to single him out for praise, unprompted. Yes. Those guys know him, uh, and then. You have the rest of the continuity because Kevin Wilson still right there. Tony Alford, Greg Studrawa, who had a, a massive, massive year uh, to reclaim some of the prestige for his career after a rough uh, 2018. Uh, you have that continuity for the offense, which is clearly important uh, for Ohio State going into 2020. So I, you know, I think it's a good move. I think people will look at it and kind of wonder because Corey Dennis hasn't done it before that this is. That's a big ask for your first full-time gig to be coaching quarterbacks at Ohio State. But uh, all signs at this point suggest he can do it. Yeah, and I was going to say, I mean, Ryan Day, Lincoln Riley, <clears throat> Dabo Sweeney, all of these guys came up 
in very similar fashion. You know, I mean, they weren't superstar players, et cetera. Well, Ryan Day was pretty good at New Hampshire. <laughs> Actually, he was real good. But you know what I'm saying? I mean, they've all paid their dues on the coaching trail before they got the big break, and we all see where they've gone now, you know? Yeah. Uh, even Nick Saban, for that matter. Uh, but, the, you know, Keenan Bailey is, like you said, I mean, there's a guy that, you know, you've heard great things about from behind the scenes for a while now. Maybe, like you said, he'll get a, a little bit of a bump, too. I mean, I like Keenan Bailey a lot. I mean, he's personable. Uh, you know, a lot of these a lot of these guys behind the scenes – uh, get very little, if any, credit, and uh, they are a lot of the grease that makes the that make the wheels go around. And uh, so, and uh, but the Corey Dennis thing, I think that's, I think that's, I think that'll end up being a home run. That's what I truly believe. And you know, the other thing keeps him from being pilfered <laughs> by uh, <laughs> by one of these coaches, you know, who were, who were leaving or just left. Yeah, if you follow exactly, my drift, because yeah, exactly they right. they all know of his reputation. Uh, Real quick, uh, before we go, uh, Austin, uh, what do you think about the one and done by Jeff Halfley? Is it, we talked about it a little bit on our last show, but uh, are you square with that? I mean, you know, and I've had a lot of people thinking he could have stuck around and gotten a quote, better job, et cetera. And I'm just going, you know, Boston College, number one, if you look at their record book, uh, as a as a former head coach used to say to me, if you want to know how good a team is and how good it can be, look at what they've done. You know, yeah. and Boston College, often known, has been a pretty good program. It's also had its depth, its deep moments, its dark moments. But uh, uh, what do you think about him jumping at the Boston College job instead of perhaps waiting a year and getting a better job? I I mean, you're not. Unless Nick Saban, you know, retires, you know what I mean? You're not going to, like, jump from Ohio State to Clemson or Alabama or Texas, you know what I mean? Yeah. I, or or USC from a coordinator position to a head coaching position, probably. That's not going to happen. So when people say that, I kind of – I just listen to them, but I kind of go, yeah, I don't think you understand really, truly how it works. I, I think his move to Boston College is a good move because that's – that based on the talent on hand, they've got some pretty good talent coming back. They're kind of going to have a hole here with this recruiting class, unless he can work some miracles <laughs> yeah. in the next month. But, uh, but like you and I talked about in the ACC now, man, a little bit of coaching could go a long way and, you know, you can elevate a team in a heartbeat. Yeah. I think I, I've, I've initially when the move happened and I said this to you and I said this to others, I, that same line, Surely there would have been a better opportunity if he stayed uh, than Boston College. But uh, there's also this element where there are only, you know, what, 50, 60 jobs that anyone would actually want that are in the Power Five, and they're hard to get because there, right. there are lots of other good coordinators out there uh, rating to take the next step. There's also, I mean, as you saw just with Steve Adazio, you know, he was picked up by Colorado State. Oh, less than a week before he was fired, after he was fired by Boston College. So there's right. there's former head coaches, there's coordinators, there's current head coaches at other levels. Like it's hard to get those jobs. So it's easy for me to sit here and say, well, I I thought that Jeff Halfley had a higher ceiling than Boston College. Maybe if he'd spent two years at Ohio State, he could have been catapulted to another. Well, we don't know what jobs are going to be open next year. It's hard to speculate and project those out. And well, they he was just I mean he's going to get. Fifteen twenty million dollars guaranteed. Tell tell me. Well, if you well, well, no, that. But if you look around the country, you're almost better off jumping to uh, the next five. You know, jump into an AA, AAC yeah. job or something like that. And if you look at the at the guys who were named head coaches around the country, some of the more what you would think would be more prestigious jobs. Uh, that's more looks like more of a trampoline than than maybe getting a lower level power five job. If you focus. A lot of times you get that lower level power five job. They're there. You know, it's tough to any big 10 East. Are you kidding me? Yeah, where are you it. going? You know, yeah. I mean, Greg Schiano, more power to him, but where's he going? I mean, uh, <laughs> it's, that's a tough road, baby. And even in the big 10 West. I mean, you look at Scott Frost right now, there's some, <clears throat> you know, they're sticking by their man out there. That's a tough road out there. I mean, uh, PJ, uh, PJ Fleck, what he's done at Minnesota, it's crazy. I mean, and and it, I mean, some guys. That's why I was was telling people about PJ Fleck. Everybody was like knocking him because of his rah rah, sis boom bob, row the boat <laughs> kind of uh, approach. Up. But 
but at Western Michigan and now Minnesota, it's it has worked. I mean, uh, and they're trying to tie him. I guess they did tie him up. So you know how contracts are. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but the bottom line is, you know, it's make the most of the opportunity you get is is more the motto, right? And uh, I think in Boston, I think in the ACC, you could be upwardly mobile pretty quick if you get a couple of players or two. Yeah, and I think it's probably – it's not fair. I don't think that Boston College is a great job. What you say is also correct, that they've had seasons where they've – They've been really good, and they've been uh, in the mix for conference championships and all that. They they're not Rutgers. I think that's important, and and to to specify to backs up your point that you know they wouldn't be that far away if they get the right quarterback in there. Maybe they can uh, combine that with Jeff Halfley's defense and make a lot of noise, win eight nine games, and then suddenly Jeff Halfley becomes even more uh, sought after because. I, I don't think he's going to finish his career at Boston College by any stretch of the imagination. Well, he better hope not. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, and that's but that's the other part too, where I sit back and look at it. You know, should Chris Ash have known better than to take the Rutgers job? Maybe, but he also has life-changing money for the rest of his life. You know, he right. he got you know five years, whatever he got, fifteen million that he put in the bank. Uh, that's that changes your entire life. And guess what? When that didn't right. pan out the way we all knew that it wouldn't, he's right back out there and Texas scoops him up and he starts the process over again as a def- as one of the best defensive coordinators uh, in the country. And then down the road, maybe somewhere else, uh, you know, like Charlie Strong had all these other opportunities. Maybe that'll happen for Ash as well. I think, you know, definitely Halfley is going to be employed for a very long time as a defensive coach if Boston College doesn't work out. But what if it does? He bet on himself the same way that P.J. Fleck did at Minnesota with a job that's not that easy but has the potential to be good as long as you put yeah. in the work and know what you're doing. We'll see if we'll see how that plays out for Jeff Halfley moving forward here. But you know, it, I, this this mythical two-year commitment I just don't think is, is realistic in college football anymore. And also, you don't want it. If you have a situation like Mike Yersich where uh, it clearly – was going to be in the best interest for both sides to part ways. I think Mike Gersich is a very good offensive coach. I'm not at no point you will never have seen me say that they parted ways because Mike Gersich couldn't be a good coach. He is a bright yeah. he's a bright guy and he was yes. he was integral with Justin Fields this year. Um, but he wasn't the culture fit and he wanted an opportunity to call plays. So you why would they have just gone through another year because they said it's a 2-year commitment? Sometimes you don't yeah. want it. Sometimes you don't want it and let the you know let, you got to do what's best for your staff every single year. And if you're not willing to make hires and have staff of people at, at this level, if you're Ohio State, then you're not going to reach your true potential. True. Hey, real quick before we go, um, as these guys matriculate to the NFL, mm-hmm. uh, I know you and glue man Spencer Holbrook are, are headed uh, to cover the Sean Wade situation. Yep. Um, uh, you know, J.K. Dobbins has already made his announcement. Uh, Jeffrey Okuda, in a stirring uh, way, made his announcement and uh, ran down the road. Who is Ohio State going to miss, from your opinion, uh, who are they going to miss most uh, from this group and of guys who are going to be leaving early? Uh, that's probably an, <laughs> an obvious answer, but I'll give you – Give me a short answer, and then I'll give you my answer, and then we'll move on. Go ahead. Short by my standards? Okay. Uh, I Well, if Sean Wade decides to go, and I truly – we've we, I've been getting this question since we uh, made the announcement that we'd be covering it. You know, do we know – we don't know 100% what's going to happen, and I don't know that Sean Wade is 100% even as we sit here right now uh, on Thursday. Uh, if if Sean Wade goes and they lose both Akuda, Wade, Fuller, and Arnett uh, – that's a huge deal. You're replacing yes. the entire secondary. I, I think that there is a chance that Sean Wade comes back. So from there, I will shift my answer to. Uh, Let me interrupt you. Go ahead. Where, where is he making his announcement? He, uh, we are going to be meeting him at his family home in Jacksonville. Yeah, <laughs> and he's going. You're going to go. He's going to go all the way to his family home, and y'all are going to go all the way to his family home, and he's going to announce. He's coming back to Ohio State. You you think that's really going to happen? Um, I mean, maybe, <laughs> I maybe huh? maybe I maybe I'm too optimistic on it. But with with Wade's decision, like I, I'm curious about what the draft advisory board told him because 
yeah. I think there's a difference between what the mock drafts are saying, which is all these people that are enamored by his versatility and assume that he can make the leap to being a full-time shutdown corner on the outside and what the scouts and general managers might actually be seeing, which is having some uncertainty because he hasn't had to do it. He hasn't had to play against right. top receivers like Jeff Okuda or even the secondary guys a lot of times when Damon Arnett was doing that. Um, I think that the feedback he might have got was is not going to be the same with some of the other uh, you know, high end projections that people have written about with him. I, I you know, right. I don't, I don't know that for a fact. Um, it does, you know, he, he could easily have, uh, you know, popped into Letterman Row Studios on Sunday with classes being, uh, classes resume and workouts resuming for Ohio State on Monday. So maybe the, maybe the spot matters. Maybe it's he just wants to be with his family. I don't know. I, I just know that they asked uh, about doing, having an announcement and getting coverage. And our whole thing is to be accessible to current and former players, so we're going to do it. Uh, yeah. Oh, but, yeah. I mean, oh, oh, I'm not. No. <laughs> I mean, I think it's important to be there no matter what he says, you right. know. And, uh, you know, uh, if he says Kerry Combs are bust, you know, then there you go. You got all kinds of scoops. <laughs> but but, but the bottom line is, you know, I mean, I and like you and I talked about it, you know, we are not talking about football a lot. I mean, you know, as much as I like Sean Wade being that slot guy, being that slot cover guy as opposed to being the guy on the edge or two different things, two different dynamics, two different disciplines, uh, especially from college to the NFL because, you know, Bradley Roby's one of the better corners I've covered at Ohio State and he ended up being the slot guy yeah. in the NFL and uh, for the most part. And and I think Sean Wade is damn good. Uh, but like you said, where does he realistically sit in the NFL evaluation situation uh, in, when you consider he doesn't have much, if any, uh, video of him covering guys on the edge, you know, you know, but we all know, I mean, who knows where he's going to end up. He could end up playing safety in the NFL. I mean, this guy, I think, you know, definitely the sky's the limit for this guy, you know, JK Dobbins. Wow. You know, good for him is the way I look at it. The young man from LaGrange, Texas, and I'm down in Texas right now. I remember, you know, my I told you my brother has a weekend ranch in LaGrange, right outside LaGrange, and what a what a cool story all the way around where he's come from, the challenges he's faced, the way he was bound and determined. I mean, leaving the field last year at the Rose Bowl, uh, you know, Dave Holmes from Channel 10 and I are, are talking to him as he leaves the field, and he said the goal for this for this past season was to win the national championship. I mean, he left he left no doubt about what his motivation was. Right. And then, of course, after the game the other night, when that didn't happen, yeah, they were robbed. They also could have taken care of business themselves, including a, a couple of situations there with J.K. Dobbins on pass plays near the goal line. One that was a diving attempt that uh, the the replay official ruled that he did uh, not take uh, get control of. It could have been a touchdown, and then that screen pass that he just flat dropped. Uh, yeah, he could have maybe handled things himself even even better. Bottom line is he left his heart on the field. Mm -hmm. And to see where he's come from and where he's headed now, I'm interested to see what the NFL thinks of him from a draft standpoint. But I think he's got a lot to offer from uh, in a lot of ways. And it's funny, I thought, you know, going into that game, I think one of his major major selling points is the fact he can't catch the ball in the backfield. I will stand on that. Yeah, you know, yeah. uh, uh, sometimes things happen. And, you know, as you and I were sitting there doing that post game on the field with Bermanology, I was looking back in the same direction. JK would have been looking to catch that little lob pass, the screen pass. And you're looking right into the lights there, the way they've got the lights arrayed, you know, on the, uh, on the sides uh, up in the upper reaches of that dome stadium. So uh, a lot of things can happen. But the bottom line is good. Good for him, Chase Young. What do you think? Yeah, I, I was just gonna say if if I had to pick one of those guys, it would be J.K. Uh, and and this one will be quick because he's the most. That's the most productive season in Ohio State history. And what happened with Master Teague down the stretch? He made a big leap from freshman to sophomore year. But the four games that mattered, the last four in a row, twenty-one right. carries for forty-five yards. That's, right. That's not good enough. And right. I really like Marcus Crowley. I think he's got a, a big upside. I'm not. Sh I'm not sure still the severity of the knee. If he's going to be ready for spring practice or any of that. I saw him um, when we went out to the Princess to see Jack Miller, whatever that was, last Thursday. He he jumped over this like 
uh, you know, velvet rope in the hallway. And I'm like, oh, well, he looks okay right now. Uh, <laughs> so I, so I, I don't know what that means. But, um, you know, he was – he had just finished. He had 82 yards, <clears throat> excuse me, against Maryland before that injury, and he looked really yeah. impressive. He's got a little more of that J.K. sort of uh, style to him where, gosh, he could have even helped uh, on Saturday night in the Fiesta Bowl. So that, yes. that's that's going to be a huge spring thing to watch. Um, and Chase Young, I mean, he's going to leave. We know that. it's That's been the plan for 18 months. Um, but I think that the Rushman, you know, that those defensive ends, they're good to go. You have Jonathan Cooper back uh, now, chance to get healthy, fifth-year senior, uh, hasn't really got a chance to, to reach that five-star potential yet, but can. Then Tyreek Smith, uh, another guy who's been beset by injuries, but let him get healthy. Zach Harrison, my goodness, so much better than I thought he could be as a true freshman. Uh, Let me interrupt you right now. Uh, Watch the Trevor Lawrence touchdown run. And uh, in the end, the guy who's chasing him uh, came from along is is Zach and stride for stride with him is Zach Harrison, defensive end. I mean, it would have helped if they had tackled him at the line of scrimmage. But, wow, I mean, the upside for Zach Harrison – is crazy. Now go ahead. No, I think, and I, I'm trying to remember. I think he got the start in the Fiesta Bowl. Um, he was out there for the first play of the game, which is just, I never ever would have envisioned that from him in year one. Uh, right. Tyler Friday made a sack uh, on Saturday night too. So you've got those four ends. Uh, now, if you talk about some guys that you're gonna really gonna miss, someone we've talked about a ton this year, Devon Hamilton, BB Landers. We'll see if that next wave of defensive tackles can get rolling if if uh teron vincent can finally get healthy and play for the first time in his career but uh, yeah i don't think it sounds crazy to say this because chase young is the best defensive end i i think i've i've ever covered and i am more productive than the bosas and um that's an argument for a completely other another show but it, the way ohio state is recruited the way larry johnson develops I don't think that they're going to miss a beat with the pass rush, even without a Heisman Trophy finalist, a defensive end. That sounds insane, but I think they're going to be okay. The special player, I mean, uh, I think Chase Young is is ridiculous also. Uh, Jeff Okuda, Jeff Okuda, you knew this day was coming for Jeff Okuda. Yeah. Uh, But, man, you know, just when it's just these corners, just when they really get it, you know, you get that like one year out of them and then they're gone. And, and that's, that's, you know, back in my day when I was growing up, you know, and that's probably not fair. It wasn't fair for the players, but you know, when you're a fan of watching college football, you just hate to see them leave so early, you know, just because you want to see them have that year where they just flat dominate, you know, for one of another term. And, um, you know, it paid off for Joey Galloway when he returned. I mean, he dominated, and um, as a, I'm talking about as a as a wide receiver mm-hmm. and things, but man, it's so rare anymore that these that you get to see these guys all the way through, and you just think about the great teams you could have seen if it wasn't for the leaving early wow, aspect yeah. of of college football anymore. But you know that's the way it is, man. And uh, that's kind of way I wanted to wrap this up. Uh, Boston was every season. Enjoy that season because the next year is going to be different. I mean, and I know, yeah, that, Tim, that's pretty profound. But, I mean, just <laughs> in college football, the teams turn over so rapidly now. It's almost all the great teams are almost kind of like uh, middle of the road or lower rung NFL teams. They've got brand new personnel, it seems like, you know, <laughs> from one year to the next. Yeah. And, you know, one, because the team's not good enough. Uh, and then in the college sense, because the teams are so damn good. And uh, so I hope, you know, this was a special season, I think, in the country, you know, quarterback-wise. I mean, Tagovailoa before he got hurt, you know. But uh, Trevor Lawrence showing why he was the Heisman Trophy favorite going into the year along with Tagovailoa mm-hmm. and uh, playing great. I mean, he was – for everything we talked about about that Clemson game the other night, uh, Trevor Lawrence put – put Clemson on his back in the second quarter and said, you know, uh-uh, not on my watch, right. you know, yep. and it was a phenomenal performance by that guy. Yes, Justin Fields threw for more yards, et cetera, but uh, Trevor Lawrence uh, was not going to be denied, and you know, in, in Clemson history, Clemson lore, that four-play drive to take the lead, 
uh, in the fourth quarter will go down as one of the great moments in that in that program's history. Yep. Uh, it's funny when you're covering something uh, instead of just enjoying it from afar. You know, you get wrapped up into what the team you're covering, its uh, pluses or minuses, and you don't really necessarily enjoy sort of the masterpiece or the – that was more of a of a Pollock uh, uh, <laughs> uh, Pollock, uh, a wild uh, modern art piece we watched the other night, a lot of slashes and stuff. But, but the bottom line is you don't really enjoy what you just watched, both from the good and the bad. And uh, it's more of the despair that Ohio State fans and players and coaches were feeling after that game uh, instead of the holy smokes, you know. What if Justin Fields, what if Olave hadn't fallen down and just run that route? What would we have seen? Yeah. You know, it's we look at it from more of that angle. And, in fact, that was a hell of a college football game. And, and uh, I, that's why I'm blessed to be a sports writer yeah. all my life, man. I've been able to enjoy great moments. You know, uh, there are a million of them. Uh, you know, going back to, like, even that 96 season, the Rose Bowl with Joe Germain, and with the help of some pass interference calls, took Ohio State down the field and won that game. It's, uh, there have been a million of them. Yeah. It's um... – as you said, we are we are lucky to do what we get to do, and I I was just kind of thinking about that because I went down to the field and I was kind of you know the last four minutes uh, I was trying to get snap judgments and the instant game story ready, and it was a stressful <laughs> situation because it could have gone either way obviously, yeah. and and I'm like you know that's that's high stress that's uh, a high wire and you're not really enjoying what happened there and you get down I got down there and. This was the first like really big game that that Spencer got to cover, and it's one of the you know best ones that you're ever going to see. And he's like, "Man, that was an incredible game," and I was like, "Yes, huh. yeah, I guess it was." But I like, I, I all I was thinking about was the the fumble and did I get the score right in that instant game story and the snap judgments and I hope I got everything correct because I had a win story and a loss yeah. story. And I'm like, yes, it, it's, uh, you even asked me like how it recovered. Like it's five days later. And I'm like, I, you know, I, I guess that was a truly like Clemson came back from 16 down. You had these unforgettable plays for Ohio state and the, the officials. And they had to answer the bell with a go ahead drive and for, fourth and t- you know, fourth and one Ryan day goes for it and touchdown to the lobby. And it's like, that was a hell of a game. And it's like I don't think I've even really got a chance to recognize that whether what we saw was yeah. something that people will talk about for forever, and we were there, dude. That's what we talked about going into that game. Big games like that, where the where the teams are even, it comes down to the big plays, you know. And Trevor Lawrence delivered that big long touchdown run, which oh my goodness, who saw that coming? Mm-hmm. But then fourth and two, and uh, Ryan Day opts to go for it, not just go for it. <laughs> he opted to go for the touchdown because they got the coverage they wanted and they hook up and boom, you know, Ohio State has the lead again. And now, and then they, 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 they force a punt, you know what I mean? And then Clemson gets the ball back one more time. And, you know, Ohio State, man, two more first downs maybe on that one drive and the game's over, you know, it's like uh, that previous drive. And, and then you say, I mean, you're right. I mean, just right on down the line, there were just great moments to just enjoy football uh, if in fact those are the kind of things you enjoy, <laughs> well, they, like, you know, cliffhanger football, and they were it was all right there in front of you. And uh, I hope people do take yeah. at least a, a moment or two to understand how these guys were just going tooth and nail at each other, man. Uh, heavyweight fight, without a doubt. And you were, you were, you had the privilege of watching it. Yep. I was just I, now. I'm just sitting here. I'm like, the, that Garrett Wilson catch feels like it was a thousand years ago. Yeah, like, I, I don't even. I don't even think about it, and that's like, you, you'd wait years, you'd wait decades to see a catch like that, and it's like yeah. that was just one of fifty in that game. Yeah, he only got eighteen feet off the floor, <laughs> you know. Well, hey, you know what? We're gonna wrap it up because we're gonna get together next week and do a little bit of a preview of the national championship game, and you know, I, I, I mean, I like previewing games like this because you know, and it still has a little bit of an Ohio State touch when you consider, you know, Clemson wouldn't be there probably. Uh, uh, you know, without that botched call against Ohio State, and 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 then, but Clemson did earn its way in a lot of respects. But then the Joe Burrow story, which is crazy. Mm-hmm. Uh, don't try to write in a script for it because Hollywood will reject it on first run. <laughs> but uh, they'll then they'll want to inject their own fiction into it. But I digress. Yeah. But the bottom line is, you and I can talk about that that pending game too. And you know, you and 
I hope you and Spencer have a good time in Jacksonville. There's some good places to eat down there, as you well know. But uh, uh, you know what? Boston, thanks for joining me again on the Tim May podcast, and thanks for, for you and uh, Glue Man uh, making this hookup possible while I, I deal with the situation out here uh, concerning my mom and my family. But uh, you know what? Until next week, this is Tim May with the Tim May podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, thanks for, thanks for watching and thanks for listening. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.